Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at core.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit core.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As we continue in worship, I invite you to hear this passage from scripture from the book of Acts. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. More than three billion people claim to follow Jesus. But aside from a few verses, how many actually know what he taught? In fact, much of what people think Jesus taught, he never said. Jesus' message is not only life-changing, but world-changing. Join us as we study words that change the world the message of Jesus. As we continue in worship, my name is Scott Crossdeck, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's a great joy to be with you today. And, and one of the things that you are well aware of is that last weekend was Easter weekend, and Easter weekend is one of the best weekends in the church calendar. It's one of the foundational moments of our life of faith. It's a chance for us to remember and to celebrate that Jesus is, in word and deed, the resurrection and the life. Easter is a chance for us to celebrate that, that Jesus rises from the grave, which gives us confidence to know that there isn't anything that we could possibly face that Jesus hasn't already possibly faced first for us. And I love that. You know, our senior pastor on Easter weekend, he talked about how Easter means that love conquers hate, that, that life uh, triumphs over death, that, that hope overwhelms despair, and that light pierces the darkness. And so on Easter, we celebrate, and, and it becomes this big and joyful celebration. And, and I'm going to confess that, that for me, it was big and joyful. I got to be present in worship, but, but my wife and I, we're both pastors, and, and we have two kids. We have a seven-year-old, and we have a three-year-old, Freddie and, and Poppy. And trying to find moments to celebrate as a family is challenging on Easter weekend. And so what we try to do is create an experience for them to have that same opportunity to rejoice and to celebrate and to do so with us together as a family. And, and so what that looked like this year was we decided on Saturday night, you know, before Sunday morning to, to have this project where we'd bring our kids together and we'd make these things called resurrection rolls. And if you don't know what a resurrection roll is, it's, it's a really simple do-it-yourself project where you get those Pillsbury, you know, crescent rolls and you, you unwrap them. And, and what you do is you, you melt some butter and you, and you throw some cinnamon and sugar in, into the melted butter, and you start to roll those giant marshmallows into uh, the butter until they're covered. 
You place the marshmallow into the rolled out crescent roll and, and then you wrap it up. And, uh, and what happens once you've done all that, you throw that into the oven, you let it bake. And so while the resurrection rolls were baking, uh, Wendy and I, we began to talk about the Easter story with Freddie and Poppy. And, and, uh, and as we walked through it, about the time that we shared the story, uh, the rolls were done. We pulled the rolls out. And, and what happens when you bake these resurrection rolls is the marshmallow, it melts away into the, into the croissant itself. And, and so you have this hollow tomb. You have this empty tomb. And, and so as you dig into these resurrection rolls, what you re- realize is that this is like the Easter story that you're about to eat, and it's sweet, and it's delicious. And, and, uh, and, and this year, uh, we wanted to capture their reaction to these resurrection rolls and, and their experience of Easter. And, and so this is how Poppy responded on Saturday night to the Easter message. And of course, all the film credits go to Freddie, our seven-year-old. Let's take a look. I mean, this is how we should feel on Easter, right? We, we, we can't help but, but cry out, Jesus is alive, and we want to share with everybody that we see. It's like we are overwhelmed by this, by this joy. We are filled and inspired by this hope, and, and we want to just cry out uh, hallelujahs on this resurrection day. And, and actually, every Sunday after Easter should be a resurrection celebration. It should be a reminder of our, of our changed reality, that we have no reason to fear, that we can live differently, confidently, trusting that the worst thing is never the last thing. It should change our disposition. And so my guess is uh, on Easter, you were just like Poppy. And, and my hope is that every day thereafter uh, has been full of, of resurrection hope. It's been full of you trying to tell everybody that you can see that, that Jesus is alive and, and that your week has been uh, worry-free and that your week has been you know, frustration-free and that the things that usually consume you no longer had an impact on you. And, and, and that everywhere you went, it was warm weather filled with sunshine, rainbows, and nothing but just overwhelming hallelujahs. My guess is that's how your week has been except that I know that that's not how your week has gone. I don't know when it was that that you kind of lost sight of Easter, when it was that the the Easter glow kind of faded, but but my guess is it happened sometime closer to maybe Sunday night or or maybe it was Monday morning, and that's when things that usually bug at you or or, or eat at you started to creep back into into your life. Isn't it fascinating how quickly we move on from something as powerful and as foundational as an Easter celebration, as the resurrection and life. And if that's you, what I want to say is you're not alone. We're all human. And this is a part of what it means to to live as, as humans, to be created. But what I want you to know is that Jesus isn't done with us yet. This isn't the end of the story. Easter isn't the end. It's only the beginning. So today what we're doing is we're going to conclude our series of sermons on the words that change the world by focusing in on the 40 days following Easter They're the resurrection stories. These are the words that Jesus shared after he had risen from the grave with his disciples before ascending into heaven. And what we're going to recognize about these stories is that Easter doesn't end. Easter continues. The the gospels don't end on the day of resurrection. They continue for 40 more days as the risen Christ continues to chase after us, to pursue us, to meet us, to lead us, to love us for 40 days following Easter so that we might know 
so that we might find our purpose going forward and our place in his mission. And so we're going to dive into those stories. And the best known of the resurrection stories, it's found in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's, and it's known by the name of the Great Commission. And, and what I love about Matthew 28 isn't necessarily the commission itself, although that is foundational to our purpose as people seeking to follow after Christ. But what I love about Matthew 28 is it gives us a sense of how the disciples were following Easter. This is what we read in Matthew 28, starting in the 16th verse. Now the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Not only had Jesus told them to go and, and wait for him there on that mountain set apart in the Galilee, but when Jesus actually appeared before them, just as he said he would do, the disciples, they didn't know what to do when they saw the risen Christ. They didn't know how to respond. Some of them worshiped, Matthew says, but some still doubted, which means the disciples, they weren't all of one accord. They weren't all still celebrating Easter. Some of them were now beginning to doubt things, even though the risen Christ was standing right before them. And what you get to see in Matthew 28 is a sense of, of the fact that they weren't all of one accord. They weren't all responding in the same kind of way. They all had different levels of reluctant disposition. And Matthew isn't the only gospel to describe the disciples' experience. Uh, Luke also has several resurrection stories that he, that he lifts up for us to see. And what we get to see in those is similar glimpses of the disciples' struggle and doubt. In one of them, what Luke describes are two of the disciples who are brokenhearted. They're, they're blinded by grief. And, and on Easter evening, they are walking on the road to Emmaus. And as they're walking down that Emmaus road, they are literally sad. They are dejected. They are full of disbelief and they are overwhelmed by grief. And in their lonely moment of grief, as they're walking on that sad road of despair, the risen Christ meets them, but they don't see him for who he is. They're blinded by grief. This is what we read in Luke 24. While they, the disciples, were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And, and they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? And they replied, the, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was the prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And yes, besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things took place. These disciples, they couldn't recognize Jesus. They referred to him as a stranger, even though he was standing there walking with them, talking with them. And what happens is the conversation continues. They begin to acknowledge that some of their friends on Easter morning, that same morning, they, they went to the tomb only to discover the stone had been rolled away and they, and they recognized that Jesus wasn't there any longer. They even acknowledged that, that these angels had announced to these friends of theirs that, that Jesus wasn't there, that, that he had risen from the grave. And, and, and as they were sharing all of these things, they still couldn't acknowledge that these things were true. They still stood in, in disbelief. They were blinded uh, by their grief. And it wasn't until later when they, when they gathered together that, that Jesus appeared before them, but not before saying this in response to their testimony. Jesus in Luke 24, verse 25, he responds to the, to the doubt and to the disbelief and to the grief of the disciples saying, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart you are to believe all that the prophets have declared. Jesus says, how foolish you are. 
Later, they would break bread and, and Jesus would make himself known to the disciples in the breaking of the bread. And, and finally, that opened their eyes. And once they realized after a whole day and after a whole uh, meal that, that Jesus was with them, that he was risen, he was risen indeed, they, they get up from their supper and they, they run as fast as they can to go back to Jerusalem to share everything they had seen of the risen Christ with the other disciples, with their friends back in Jerusalem. But things don't get better after that. As Luke 24 continues, what we realize is that once the disciples went back to Jerusalem to share their stories of the risen Christ, Jesus meets them again there. And, and this is what we read. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And Luke describes how they were startled and terrified, to which end Jesus responds to them saying, why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And, and listen to this. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. Even after all of that that had taken place on that Easter day, they were still disbelieving and wondering. The Gospel of John is no different than, than Luke or, or Matthew. John describes the disciples as doubting, as hurting, as hiding behind locked doors. Mark describes similar reactions uh, amongst the disciples. And he essentially summarizes all of the Gospel accounts of the resurrection stories when he writes, Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven themselves as they were sitting at the table, and, and he upbraided them for their lack of faith and stubbornness because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Okay, so why am I sharing all of these stories about the disciples following Easter and about their apparent unbelief or their continued struggle even after Easter? I'm sharing all of that because my guess is that's been your experience, at least to some degree, this past week. My guess is, is something happened this past week that, that removed you from Easter, that, that, that forced you into this place of struggle or, or, or doubt or, or worry or concern or even grief. There's something in us that, that, that moves us away from these big moments that change our reality, that, that leads us right back into our mundane, monotonous way of living, the old self. It's hard for us to live into this new reality when, when we are so prone to go back to the way things were, to forget, to move on, to move past Easter. I know that that's been my experience. In fact, it was my experience this past week. I, I, I think about my experience of Easter. You know, it was big. It was, it was amazing. Last week was so cool. There was like all these people. There was record-setting crowds, you know, those kinds of things. There was amazing music. There was like a, a phenomenal sermon, much better than this one. There was all of these things that gave us reason for celebrating and, and for rejoicing. And, and, and then by the end of the day, I was tired. I was exhausted. And on Monday morning, it's like then the rain and the thunder came. And I was right back in that place of, of back to normal, of forgetting uh, the power uh, of the resurrection, the, the story of, of life uh, conquering death. And, and, and the fear crept in, or the stress crept in. And my guess is you're probably worrying now as much as you were before Easter, or you're struggling in the same way that you are in whatever area of life that you're struggling in or, or that you still are agitated by some of your coworkers or your, or your colleagues or your, or your partners or your, or your spouses. My guess is you're still, you know, afraid from time to time, that you're not as overwhelmingly positive or, or joyful or rejoicing uh, all of the time. My guess is you've moved past Easter and you're in a place similar to the predicament of the disciples, even after they were eyewitnesses to all of the resurrection stories.
even though they got to see firsthand the risen Christ. And so why do we talk about this? Because it's important to acknowledge that, that in these resurrection stories, uh, we get to see a picture of Jesus that doesn't stop at, at the resurrection. We get to see a picture of the risen Jesus who even after he rises from the grave uh, continues to meet us in our humanity. He meets us in our doubt. He meets us in our struggle. He meets us in our reluctant disposition to urge us time and time again so that we might be filled with the confidence of the children of God so that we might be empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry forward what we get to see in the post-Easter stories, the resurrection stories in Jesus's words is that he longs desperately for us to realize his love for us, for us to realize that Easter isn't the end. It's the beginning of a love that will never let us go, that will go with us even to the end of the age, regardless of our doubt, of our struggle, of our concern, or our humanity. God goes with us to the end of the age and Jesus wants us to know that. He wants us to, to realize that. He desperately wants us to take that and to carry that with him so that we might go forward into the future unafraid as his disciples, as his ambassadors, as his messengers, ultimately as his witnesses. And so Jesus meets the disciples, some of whom were still doubting on that mountain in Galilee. And in Matthew 28, he commissions them all. He urges them all after meeting them. And this is what he says to them. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And then he reminds them, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And John, who, as Jesus approaches these uh, fearful, uh, you know, doubting, struggling disciples behind locked doors, uh, John reminds us that Jesus commissions them differently. What he says in John is that as the Father sent me, so I am now sending you. So go and get after it and, and do for the world what I first did for you. Jesus commissions us, despite our struggles, to go and do the things that he does, to go and to, and to live and to love the same way that he lives and loves. This is the beginning, uh, not the ending. And we realize that in today's text as well. In, in, in Acts 1, we get to see uh, Jesus's final word. This is day 40 following Easter. And, and Jesus appears before his disciples who are struggling, who are, who are not of one accord, who are in their different places uh, post-Easter. And, and what Jesus does is he meets them right before he ascends to heaven. And he meets them one last time. And this is what he says in the scripture that we read earlier today. When they had come together, they asked him, the disciples asked him, Lord, is the time, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And he replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we had, when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight while he was going and, and there, they were gazing up toward heaven. Suddenly two men in white robes, they stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who had been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus, in this last moment with his disciples, with his last word, he says to them, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And, and when it does, you will become my witnesses. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will become my witnesses. This is the great commission. 
This is Jesus' final word to his disciple. These were his marching orders. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to become, regardless of our disposition, we are to become his witnesses. This is how we're going to carry the baton forward. This is how we're going to continue the story living into our new reality. This is how we're going to, to carry forward in the mission of Christ by receiving the power of the Holy Spirit and becoming his witnesses. I love that word, witness. Do you love it? Do you understand it? Have you ever fully like recognized what that word actually means? I mean, this is Jesus's final word for us. You are to, to become my witnesses. This is how you're supposed to live out the rest of your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are to be my witnesses. But what does that actually mean? Generally speaking, when I hear the word witness, I imagine somebody sitting in a courtroom somewhere who has been called to give an account of something they, they saw firsthand. And, and then as they share the account of something they saw, they're, they're offering a testimony to give credence to an argument or give credence to a case, to, to support something, to validate something, to offer truth to something as it happened, according to their firsthand eyewitness experience. I think about the book of Acts and this last encounter with Jesus. And, and one of the things that, that the author of Acts wants to draw to our attention is that the disciples were eyewitnesses. They were people that were stuck there in that place, watching as Jesus was ascended, so much so that they were stuck looking to the clouds that these two angels appeared before them and said, why do you continue to look at Jesus as he is ascending to heaven? What Luke wants to make clear in, in Acts is that these disciples actually saw Jesus. And so they have a, a witness. They have a testimony. They have an account of what had actually happened. They can offer proof to the resurrection and the life. Part of what we have to recognize with this word witness is that it means that we need to be able to share what we see. We need to be able to, to offer and invite people to see what we have seen to share what we've experienced or what we've seen firsthand. When's the last time you've shared what you've seen happen in your life of faith? What you experience in church or in a worship service or at a service project or, or, or offering care or compassion to somebody in need? Do you ever share what you see or what you experience in your life of faith with the world around you? One of the most important things that we can do to live out our identities as God's witnesses is to, is to witness to our faith, to, to share what we've seen, to share what we've heard, to share what we've experienced with others as a way of an invitation for them to have an encounter in the same way so they can see what we see, so they can experience what we experience, so they can hear what we hear. You know, think about Jesus's ministry. This is the faithful thing to do because all throughout Jesus's earthly ministry, the, the three most important words to, 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 to foster momentum and growth as he, was, as he was moving in public ministry all throughout the Galilee for that three-year period of time were, 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 were come and see. Those were the three most important words. If people had questions of Jesus, if people wanted to know more about his life or his love, he would oftentimes just invite them to come and see to come and experience, to come and follow me, to, to, to come and, and see the world as I see it, to see one another the way that I see you, to experience God's abundance everywhere it is that we go, to recognize that all of this was created as a gift for us to employ, to enjoy, to maximize that God would be glorified. Jesus would say, come and see. And, and people did. They came and they saw and they followed and they experienced everything that Jesus had to offer. 
Part of what Jesus longs for us to recognize in this last word to his disciples in Acts, the first chapter, is that we are called to be witnesses, which means we are called to invite people to see what we see, to experience what we experience. Jesus invites us to be his witnesses. And part of what that means is that we need to share what we see with the world around us, share what we experience as a way of inviting people to experience the very same thing. This is part of what it means to to witness, but that's not the whole thing. When you look at this word witness, there's a whole different dimension to it as well. And a part of what being a witness means is to have the courage to share what we see and experience with others. But another thing that we have to recognize is that it requires something much bigger, much more active, with a lot more boldness. When I think about the word of uh, a witness, I think about the ancient Greek. And, and the word witness, it comes from the, the ancient Greek word martyreo. And that, that's a word that really gives us the origin of the word martyr. And, and, and to be a martyr is to, is to witness with your body. It's to embody our invitation. It's to embody what we see, what we experience. And, and so to be a witness in that way means to stand up for something, to, to step out, to, to be seen. It's, it's a call to visibility with everything you have and all that you are. To be a witness is to be a bodily witness. We witness with our life and how we live it by standing up, by, by stepping out, by affirming something in a public kind of way. How are you seen? How does your life bear witness to your faith in Christ? My guess is we have varying answers to that question. And, and, and one of the ways that I imagine this in a, in a very simple kind of way of what it looks like to stand out or to, to step up in, in terms of affirming something as a sign of our faith is, is something that happens during weddings. And, and it's wedding season right now. And in every one of the weddings that I've ever officiated, there's always witnesses. And, and those witnesses are oftentimes the maid of honor, or they're the best man, or they're the groomsmen, or they're the, the bridal party. And, and what you recognize is that those are people who are called to stand up, to, to, to step out, to be present in affirmation of something that they are there to see and and that they are there to uh, affirm. And and so they become the lead witnesses in that service of worship. In that way, they are witnessing to the life and to the love of those two people who are there to get married. And so they're standing up the entire time. They are visibly representing and affirming that which they they are supporting with their whole being. And then at following the worship service, that, that, that wedding ceremony, they, they go and they, and they sign their name to a legal document that says, with everything that I am, with all that I am, with my name, I am affirming them as their witness. To be a witness in that way is to encourage, to bless, to affirm, to support, to walk alongside till death do you part this couple as they begin their life together as husband and wife, as a married couple Part of what it means to be a witness is to, is to love somebody to the end of the age, to be with somebody, to encourage somebody, to support somebody, to stand up for somebody, to defend somebody with everything you have and all that you are. This is what it means to be a witness with your life, to be embodied as a witness. When Jesus tells his disciples, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. He's saying, I need you to stand up for me. I need you to to step out for me. I need you to be visible. I need you to be the light of the world, visible for the whole world to see by how it is that you live as a witness to who I am. You need to encourage, support, love, defend one another the same way that I first did those things for you. This is what it looks like to be a witness. And this is what's very challenging to do. You know, Jesus is telling these uh, last words to the disciples on, on, this, on this place right before he's ascending. And, and you have to think about who these disciples were. They were struggling. 
They were failing as, as witnesses. I think about Peter, who is in the audience when Jesus is offering these words to the disciples in Acts 1. Imagine how Peter would have received these words on day 40 following Easter. I remind you that Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to be witnesses in this way. And, and I want to remind you that, that when Jesus is sharing these words with the disciples, Peter is there. And Peter is the one who couldn't do it on his own. Peter is there in, in the wake of denying Jesus, uh, pretending that he didn't know Jesus, not once, but three times in the moments leading up to his crucifixion and, and ultimately to his death. And yet Jesus is telling Peter and assuring Peter that, that the Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses, which means this, the Spirit does something to us. It changes us. And that's exactly what happened to Peter 10 days later, 10 days after the ascension. What you remember is that once Peter received the Holy Spirit, he became altogether different. He, he became transformed. He became a, a brand new creation. And in and, and moments after receiving the Spirit, Peter, he breaks free from, from the shackles that were enslaving him, from his struggles, from his worries, from his concerns, from from his fears, from his doubts, and, and he begins to preach. He, he stands out, he, he steps up, and he, and he offers good news of great joy to thousands of people, a stone's throw from where Jesus was crucified. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, and this is what the Spirit does for us. It's, it's like dynamite. It's like a catalyst. I tell my son, it's like the blue juice in Fortnite. It, it makes us different. It, it protects us. It, it emboldens us, and it pushes us so that we can become visible so that we can step out, so that we can stand up, so that we can be seen as God's witnesses. This is what happened to Peter, but on that same Pentecost day, it happened to all of the disciples. Once they received the Holy Spirit, it sent all of them out. And, and as they went out, they became God's witnesses because, because they sought to live and to love in a certain, certain way that reflected the image of Christ to the world around them. They began to form Christian communities and those Christian communities were known they were visible. They were seen. They were defined by their worship. They were defined by their prayer and their care for those who are in need. And, and they were known, these disciples, these Christians, for their unwavering joy, for their peace, their faithfulness, their courage. People were drawn to them on account of their bodily witness. They were, they were amazed and astonished by what they were seeing coming out of these communities. And, and it was so different. It was so visible. They were bearing witness to the light and life of Jesus Christ by how they lived. And this was only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. What does your life bear witness to? What do people see by how you live? When's the last time you invited the Holy Spirit or prayed for the Holy Spirit to descend upon your life? I was thinking about this question personally for me the last, last week as I was preparing for today. And, and this week is an interesting week for me just because I've been replaying Holy Week and I've replayed Easter like over and over in my head. And, and it's a really busy week for me, Holy Week and Easter. And this year in particular was, was, a, was, was a really challenging week. I was behind the scenes a lot of the time because in my role, I'm the executive director over all of our ministries and programs, which, which is a church-wide kind of position, which has, was managing lots of different things across all of our locations, including online and, and TV. And, and so I found myself behind scenes uh, working to make sure we were ready to celebrate Easter with the thousands of people uh, that would gather together with us. And, 
And it was a really challenging time balancing all of the responsibilities, but it was also a really awesome time because I got to work really closely with our senior pastor. And I got to watch how he was managing a lot of the same complexities as he was preparing for Easter and for worship in the same kind of way. And, and I was amazed by what I saw. And I felt like for a whole week, I got to see things that maybe most people don't see. And I was drawn particularly to, to, to Good Friday and, and, and to you know, Easter Saturday and, and, and Sunday. And I began to watch our senior pastor of this church, who is our, our leader, fitting things into his schedule that he had no time to account for. I was thinking about the day that we were re-recording for our Easter sermon and our Easter worship, and I was thinking about all of the time that it would take to prepare for that kind of message and to, and to pull that off. And, and on that same day, I, I watched him as he, as he traveled to go visit with a family that was suffering from a great tragedy. I watched him as he, as he went and he visited a, a person who was dying in, in a hospital. I watched as he set aside everything to go and be present at a courtroom hearing for, for an adoption uh, ceremony. I got to watch him as he, as he talked to somebody on the phone, as he cared for them pastorally, prayed with them pastorally as he was, as he was struggling through something uh, about a few hours away. I got to watch him travel to Odessa, Missouri to be present, to be seen at a visitation, to care for a family who is, who is grieving the loss of a family member. I got to see him do all of these things in addition to, to doing all of the complex tasks associated with preparing for Easter worship and these thousands of people online, in person, everywhere, on TV. And that's not to account for the thousands of emails I'm sure he responded to and the, the phone calls and the interruptions that he stopped to, to be attentive to the day of. And then on Easter Sunday, when, when he should have been tired, in between worship services, I, I watched him in the lobby as he made sure that nobody left the doors that he was in front of without receiving a hug or a thank you for worshiping with us. And in the event that somebody actually got past him, I watched him as he would run out to the parking lot to offer that embrace or that word of gratitude. I was watching him do these things that felt superhuman to me. When most people would be resting, when most people would be overwhelmed by the complicated tasks of, of coordinating all of us across all of these locations for these thousands of people, he should have been hiding. He should have been resting. He should have been caring for himself. He should have been tired. But he kept moving forward with everything he had and, and all that he was. He kept living and loving in a visible kind of way, the same way that, that Christ loves us to the end of the age, loving everybody always. And I was thinking to myself, this is exactly what it looks like to be a witness. And this is the leader of our church which means he's setting the tone for, for me, which means he's setting the tone for our whole staff, which means he's setting the tone for everybody who gathers together here to worship. But it's not his life that's set, setting the tone. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that is filling him, that is fueling him, that is serving like dynamite in his life, that is catalyzing him so he can go forward with great boldness to step up, to stand out, to love one another the same way that Jesus loves us. That's the other thing I know about our senior pastor is that he wakes up every morning praying, inviting the Holy Spirit to enter into his life so that he could be used by God to change the world as God's witness, empowered by the Holy Spirit. When's the last time you prayed 
for the Holy Spirit to fill you, to empower you, to embolden you. In John, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. He, he says, receive the Holy Spirit and, and do the things that I did. And, and in case you didn't know where to start, in, in Acts 1, Jesus says, I needed to start living by the Spirit as my witness. Start in Jerusalem, he tells the disciples. Start close to home. Start right where you are, right now, right where you live. I want you to try being a witness by the power of, of the Holy Spirit to live like me at home, to love the people that you know the best the same way that I love you. Be a witness to them. He says, start with them. Witness your faith there. And, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, once you've been able to, to live in that way uh, in Jerusalem, at home, where you're comfortable, then I want you to press out. I want you to move out beyond that. I want you to become more bold. And I want you to step out. I want you to stand up in, in those other communities, those communities like your, your office or, or, or your neighborhood or, or your classroom or your school or those places that are, that are full of people that are acquaintances. Be a witness there. Learn how to love them the way that I love you there. Embody my uh, spirit. Embody my, my life. Be my witness in those places. And then once you've done that, then I want you to go beyond that. I want you to go to places like Judea and, and Samaria, places that are rival politically, places that are full of, of people that see the world differently than you see it, that, that don't agree with you, that maybe disagree with you, that maybe challenge you, that maybe provoke you, that maybe frustrate you. Go to those places. Go to those people. Be my witnesses there by the power of the Holy Spirit. Love them the same way that I love you. And then once you've done that, go to those faraway places. Go to those places totally foreign to you. Places where they don't even speak your language, where they don't even know who you are, where they might not even know who I am and reveal them to me. Become my witnesses to those places, to the end of the earth. Jesus invites us in the resurrection stories, to be filled by the power of the Holy Spirit, regardless of our disposition, so that we can't help but go forward as new creations, as God's witnesses to the world, by loving one another the way that he loves us, by doing the things that he first does for us, for the world around us, so that we might together experience the kingdom of heaven. You know, you want to do the things that Jesus does? You want to walk on water like Jesus does? It starts small, like one step at a time, putting one foot in front of the other. It starts first by focusing on Jerusalem and then branching out like concentric circles to Judea, to Samaria, eventually to the ends of the earth. But you got to start somewhere. We're going to start in a, in a week, a brand new series of sermons where we're focusing on God and, and suffering and hope. And we're going to be speaking about how we discern God's presence and God's will in our lives when we're suffering from grief or when we're struggling with despair or when we're walking in loneliness or where we're just wondering, God, what do you have for me? One of the ways that you can be a witness, that you can start small, is by, by inviting people to come and see what you see. To come and experience worship, where we'll have an encounter with the living God who changes us, who meets us always, who never lets us go, regardless of our struggle. And so at our in-person worship services, we're going to be challenging people to be witnesses by taking these invitation cards to invite people to come and join you in worship, to experience God together with you in worship to experience the grace of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in worship so that we might together be made whole and discern the will of God in our life. For those of you who are online or on TV, I want to invite you to, to share that promo in the same kind of way, that video promo that's describing our sermon series so that people, wherever it is that you might be, can come and see what you see. Come and experience Christ in worship the same way that you do. This is one small way to take a step to become a witness by the power of the Holy Spirit in the days that follow Easter. 
And the truth of the matter is, regardless of what your week has been like or what your struggle has been like, through the resurrection and through these resurrection stories, God reveals how desperately he wants us to, to be a part of his mission. He calls us, he chases after us for 40 days, appears before us, leads us, and then equips us with his power, the Holy Spirit, hoping that we might carry the baton forward, that we might be commissioned as his witnesses to change the world by the grace of Jesus Christ. And my hope together is that we would do that. And so now as we prepare to go, I'm gonna invite you to join me as we invite the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts, our minds, and our lives. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for Easter and for the reminder that we are never alone that you are the resurrection and the life and that you love us always. To the end of the age, you will be with us. God, we pray now that you would fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit, that you'd allow us and inspire us to live with boldness and with courage to be your witnesses. Fill us with a strength that is not our own to carry forward. Allow us to press on in love, to do the things that, that Jesus first did for us, to go forth and accomplish abundantly far more than anything we can ask for or imagine. Help us to see people all around us as you see them, to invite them to come and see, to come and experience what we experience in your resurrection power. God, implore us to join together, one with you, one with each other, that we might know of your will for us. So send us as your Christian community out into the world until we experience your kingdom come on earth just as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.